Welcome to Intentionally Grounded, sponsored by GoRoute, simplifying scout teams through simple and direct coach-to-player communication. In episode 14, our guest is Dallas Center Grimes head coach, Scott Heitland. Coach tells us about his journey as a coach and some of his major influences as he has progressed through the coaching ranks. Coach Heitland also explains his program and culture building strategies that he employs, and he also details how he holds players accountable throughout the entirety of their decisions and careers. Along with sharing his offensive and defensive philosophies, Coach Heitland bestows valuable insight on what it takes to be successful at the high school level in our current era. Coaches, don't forget to show some love to our sponsors at GoRoute. Check out their website and see all the different ways that GoRoute can improve your program and save you a lot of otherwise wasted time during the upcoming season. Also, don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com, where we host our weekly podcasts and blog posts. We'd be very appreciative if you could help spread the word of what we're doing here at Intentionally Grounded by leaving a review on one of our podcast networks, such as iTunes and Stitcher, and let us know what you think. We're proud to introduce Coach Scott Heitland. We are here today with Scott Heitland, the head football coach for the Dallas Center Grimes Mustangs. Coach, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Well, it's a real honor to be invited, and uh, you know, I've, I've kind of caught on to listening and reading some of your guys' stuff, and uh, I, I really appreciate a chance to contribute. Well, Coach, we'll get started. Tell us a little bit about your background. You bet. Um, I uh, grew up in Algona, Iowa, which is uh, not too far from the Minnesota border up there, but uh, played high school ball for my dad, uh, ran track for my dad, and then attended college at UNI. Um, did not participate uh, as an athlete in any activities after I graduated from high school, but uh, got involved in, in coaching real early on as a sophomore in college as a way to kind of make some extra money. I figured there's a lot worse ways to make some money as a college kid, and uh, coaching different sports was something I knew I would enjoy and uh, kind of got uh, introduced to it uh, that way at UNI. And then, uh, you know, just it just kind of started to grow a little bit uh, with some of the things that – opportunities I got over in Parkersburg so uh, but you know had a had a great experience as a young guy um, with some really influential people that have really helped me to get to where I am today. Coach what got you into coaching in terms of you know what kind of influences really kind of brought you back to the coaching profession and it's made it so worthwhile for you? Yeah I I don't know that I planned on going into teaching and coaching right out of high school um, but realized that once I got into college and started doing some of this you know, kind of coaching just to, to make some money that it was fun. I enjoyed it. I liked working with the kids, but, you know, really there's, there's two people that got me into it as a career. And that was first my dad, uh, of course, growing up and, and watching him all those years and seeing the enjoyment that he got from it, uh, seeing the opportunities that he had as a coach uh, was something that the older I got appealed more and more to me. And then my experience in Parkersburg, getting a chance to work with Ed Thomas, really lit a fire and, and showed me a side of sports that I hadn't seen before either. And that's, you know, those two things really got me to a point where I'm like, yes, I, I want to be an educator and I want to coach in, in, at the same time. Coach, one of the things that we're, uh, you know, you've said a lot of different influencers for your, your coaching career. Um, in terms of you had to develop a coaching Mount Rushmore, who would you include on that Mount Rushmore? You know, I, I loved this question. You guys had kind of uh, let me in that this might be a question you were going to ask, and I think this is a great question. Um, and I looked at it two different ways. Um, first of all, I looked at it like who in the state of Iowa would be on that Mount Rushmore, and then just who are some people that uh, I guess I look up to that belong on there. And when you look around the state of Iowa, um, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old, and 
again, growing up the way I did with following high school football as early on as I did with my dad, some of the guys that I look to that I think really have set the standard and set the bar in Iowa are guys like Dwayne Twait from Emmitsburg, um, Ed Thomas from Appleton Parkersburg, Coach Blatt from Harlan, um, Tom Stone from Pekin, uh, Pat Mitchell from Cedar Falls, guys that were, you know, not had had a really long periods of success uh, throughout their coaching careers. You know, I think they did things uh, in the in the success column that uh, I don't know that we'll see anymore. Uh, you know, guys like Coach Blatt, who 40 years later are still coaching, you know, and eclipsed 400 wins last year. I just I don't even know if I can wrap my head around 400 wins in a 40 year career. It's just so amazing. Uh, but there's some other people that I think belong on there as well. I think uh, guys like Coach Ferentz down at the University of Iowa, who might be kind of an unusual one to to put on your your coaching Mount Rushmore as a high school guy. But the thing that I think Coach Ferentz has brought to to the University of Iowa and the state of Iowa and high school coaches in Iowa is the importance of stability and this idea that you need to be who you are. You know, Coach Ferentz arrived in Iowa City, and you know he 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 was this is who I am, and and this is the type of football that we're going to play, and you know, as the game of football has changed and evolved, you know, he's stuck to what he believed in and what he thinks is going to lead them to success at the University of Iowa. And they coach what they know and they coach what, you know, the, the, the best way that they can. And I think that's something that's good for every young coach and even older coach to remember, you know, be who you are and be proud of who you are and just do it to the very best of your ability. Coach, you've been a strong advocate for uh, high school football in the state of Iowa, you know, specifically through your work with the Iowa Football Coaches Association. Um, tell us where you think right now the game is in the state, and and what are you guys as an association really pushing for and working working to enhance the game of football? You know, I'm I'm real proud of the work that I've been able to do and that we as an association do at the Iowa Football Coaches Association. Um, dad was always very active within the association uh, on committees. Um, he was a uh, past president as well, uh, back, I think in the early two thousands. And it was a group of, of guys that he had great respect for. And I think coming up as a young coach, it was a group that I wanted to be involved with because really when you stop and think about it, you know, who else is going to advocate for the game other than the high school coaches themselves. And, and that's really what the ultimate goal of the Iowa football coaches association is, is to promote the game and to make it the best game that we can possibly be. And when you look at the game in our state right now, and, and John, you've got a little bit of experience, you know, having worked in our state in football, I think that the game of football is still really strong in the state of Iowa. Um, when you get the, the numbers from the athletic association, yeah, we might be down a little bit, uh, as far as participation numbers go, but it's not a lot uh, based on what it was from five years ago. And I think that it's a common trend that we're seeing across the country. So even though, you know, the game might be at a little bit of a crossroads as far as participation goes, I still think that we offer one of the best high school athletic experiences in the state of Iowa. I think the biggest challenges for football in our state right now don't come necessarily at the high school level, but more at the youth level. I think today's high school coaches in Iowa are better informed, better educated, and more prepared for some of the challenges that await our game than we've ever been before because we're, we're so much better now about talking about it and about being proactive in a lot of ways. I think the biggest challenges that, that we as high school coaches in the state of Iowa face right now are in that youth game. Uh, I know that my concern and my worry with our local youth is 
making sure that they have a great experience because if they don't, they won't keep playing the game, and then I'm never even going to get a chance to coach that kid. So we're working really hard as an association to help educate, help inform, provide resources for our youth coaches, and be as helpful as we can to make sure that that youth football game is the best that it can be. Um, we participated as an association in the first ever youth football summit in Iowa back on May 5th. And uh, it was a collection of youth football leaders, high school football leaders, athletic association leaders, just talking about how to you know, continue to coach the game the right way and to promote the game the right way. Um, you know, one of the things that we're doing with our high school age kids is that we're holding this month and we did on May 12th and we're going to do it again on May 26th. We stole this I stole this idea right out of the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association. We're holding five regional combines around the state just to get kids to to think and participate and and do something fun with football in a, in a time where they might not normally do it. And I think those are the things we need to continue to do to make sure that people view football in a positive way. Coach, now shifting a little bit more towards your role at Dallas Center Grimes as the head football coach, in terms of your program, what are some of the foundational beliefs that are emphasized? You bet. I think this is a, a question and a topic that you see and hear so much about. The podcast that I listen to and follow, people are constantly talking about you know, uh, your, your culture and, and what are the foundational beliefs that you have with your program. And a lot of people are talking about it right now, and I know we talk about it a lot here at Dallas Center Grimes, too. And to be very honest with you, I think that we've changed quite a bit from when I arrived here 14 years ago. Um, as I arrived as a young coach, I had a laundry list of things that, that we were going to be and that we were going to do. And over the years, I realized nobody knew what the heck those were except for me. And I shared them. I put them on a piece of paper, but that's all they really were, were a piece of paper. And so over the years, and I think it comes with experience, but over the years, uh, and, and as my coaching staff has really solidified, and I've got three or four guys that have been with me for a really long time, we settled down and said, you know what, we can, we can remember and our kids can remember three things. And so we talked about what are the three most important things that we have to do as football players and a football team and as football coaches. And we settled on these three things. Number one is know your role. Okay, you have to understand what your role is within this team. And that's a coach and that's a player, too. So as a head coach, I need to communicate very clearly to my assistant coaches. This is your role on our coaching staff. Okay, this is what your expectations are. And these are the things that, you know, you need to to really excel at to help us out. I think our assistant coaches need to communicate that with players. Here is your role. Um, Maybe it's your role on this play. Maybe it is your role at this position. Maybe it is your role as a starter or a backup, but whatever it is, we've got to communicate what that is. And when you do that clearly, now kids can go to point number two, which is do your job. If we know what our role is, now we expect people to go out and do their job. And again, starting with the head coach, the assistant coaches, and the players, you are expected to do your job. So we want to communicate real clearly what those roles are. Now let's get out and do the very best job that we can. And when we do that, we're going to get to to point number three, which is we're going to outwork everybody. And that's a competitive thing within the team. And that's a, a, a team thing against everybody else that we're going to face on our schedule or, or in this area. So we feel like those are three things that our kids can remember. And now we talk about them all the time. And that's probably the biggest difference between me as a 14-year head coach versus me as a four-year head coach is we've infused these three things 
into all of our communication. Hey, this is what we're, what's expected of you today. Here's your role today in practice. Here's what your job is on this play. And then now let's go out and do it. And, and we hold kids accountable that way too. And so, you know, it can't be something you just throw on a piece of paper and maybe decorate the wall with. You've got to infuse it into everything you do, to your film study, to your practice field, to your, to your uh, game breakdown analysis, all that stuff is. And we think that when we got down to those three, we, the last three or four years we've hammered on those three concepts, we've really made some headway and really, to be honest with you, cleared up a lot of confusion about maybe what some of those things were on our team. Coach, and you talked about this just a little bit ago about your assistant coaches having to be on the same page. How do you hold players and coaches, you know, as the, the CEO of the operation, how do you hold everybody accountable to those three core values? Yeah, uh, that again, good question. And and I think it starts with, you know, me and the assistant coaches. Um, I need to make sure that, you know, one of the things that, that I enjoy right now is that I don't have a direct position group that I coach right now, practice between some volunteer coaches and paid coaches I have the flexibility to kind of to, to float around the practice field during our drill time and watch and listen to our coaches coach. And one of the things that I do is I start with this accountability piece is, Hey, you know, when you're talking to your guys, I want to hear you put an emphasis on these three things. I want to hear you work it into practice. When I'm in the meeting room, I want to hear you reinforce it there, but I think it has to be, it has to start with those assistant coaches and it has to be talked about. It has to be celebrated. You have to hold people accountable and like we said earlier, it just can't be words slapped up on a wall. And then we've got to, I think the best way to hold them accountable to players is find ways to connect them to what they're doing. You know, uh, when a kid does something really great on the practice field, say, great job, great job. Hey, that was your job on this play, and you did it, and you did it well, and that's why this play was successful. Um, you know, understanding, reinforcing with them. We get into a drill, and you've got your scout team together. Uh, we're going to do, you know, scout special teams and you're going to run a, a scout punt team. Hey guys, here's your role right now. We need you to be uh Webster city's punt team. And this is what they do. We showed you this on the board. We need you to do it. You know, it ex clearly express to them that this is their role for the next 15 minutes and then encourage them to do their best job. I think that's that infusion part that I was talking about a little earlier that our coaches have been really exceptional with the last few years. Coach, shifting a little bit to the philosophy side of, you know, the X's and O's, the offense and the defensive side of the game of football, in terms of offense, mm -hmm. what's your offensive philosophy and, and what are you looking for as you create your game plan on a Friday night? You bet. Uh, today, I think we look a lot different than we did 14 years ago, and I think most coaches would say that. Uh, my experience as a coach until about six years ago, we, we, we were a wing T football team everywhere I'd been. Coach Thomas was a wing T guy. My first job at Prairie Valley at Gallery, uh, we hired a new guy in the second year. The three years I was there, he was a wing tee guy. I worked for Dale Tryon at Boone for a year. He was a wing tee guy. Um, you know, so when I came to Dallas Center Grimes, we, we were going to be a wing tee team. And I had determined that nothing was going to get me to change out of that because that's what I knew. That's what I could coach. And, you know, it didn't matter, you know, who was or wasn't doing it. You know, that's what we were going to run. But today, we definitely are not a wing T team. We are a pistol team. Um, and, and kind of what changed in our philosophy about five years ago, it started with assistant coaches. Um, I had lost a few assistant coaches uh, about six or seven years in, and the new guys, they weren't as strong uh, with some of the concepts in the wing T as the guys I had lost. The places that they had come from and their playing experiences led us more to a different style of offense. So, our philosophy on offense right now 
and and it's going to be this way. I, I I hope for a while, but I, I can't promise that we'll never change again. We want to be as multiple as possible on offense. We want to be able to spread the field vertically and and horizontally as often as we can, and we want to throw as many formations at you as we can with a simple scheme behind it. Um, and so, you know, as as we sit down and talk about what we want to do, you know, we're we're a zone block team, so we're going to zone block as much as we can, but we can window dress that with as much stuff as possible. And we want to be as difficult to prepare for as we can. So that kind of drives a little bit of what we do. But once we get down to start selecting plays, the bottom line is I'm a firm believer that you got to run the ball to win football games. And so you better have a solid run game in place because I think this year, the first round playoff game was a great example. It was about, 28 degrees with a 40 mile an hour wind out of the north and I am not exaggerating on that it was cold and as windy as I can ever remember it and if you're going to rely upon throwing the ball that night that was a two-quarter game so you know we want to do those things I mentioned beforehand we want to spread the field we want to be multiple we want to give as many looks as we can but be as simple as we can behind it and really establish a strong run game Um, when you get ready to plan for a Friday night game I think the first thing we do is uh, offensively, we look at what what do they want to do uh, on the defensive side of ball uh, of the ball? What are they going to hang their hat on? Are they going to, you know, we 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 play some teams right now that are they're going to blitz 90% of the time, and you know, so we take that in consideration into our game plan. We have other teams that are just going to sit back and read and react, and you know th- that's going to be something. So what do they do best, and how does what we do best play into that? Uh, and where do we need to make our adjustments? What window dressings do we need to change this week, but still do our, you know, confident, solid game running plan, game plan behind it. Coach, talk about your quarterback play for a little bit. Just you guys have had some tremendous kids come through your program and, and they've put up some really special numbers, you know, more specifically, Austin Claver just recently came through. He had an yeah. outstanding career. Um, yep. Talk about how you train them, prepare them you know, kind of what your secret sauce is for that position and maybe how you hold them to such a high standard. You know, I think the first thing that that we do, and I'm sure a lot of people do this, but our quarterback's probably going to be the best player on our football team. Um, I wouldn't have said that when we were running the wing tee because our quarterback was a game manager. He took the snap, had to know the plays, handed the ball off, and, you know, that's just the way it worked. Um, with, With us doing what we do now, as multiple as we try to be, our quarterback's got to be pretty good. Um, he's got to be a dual threat kid. And so, you know, we're looking for one of the best athletes on our team to, to make that position go. And you mentioned Austin Claver uh, in your question, and I, I'm not sure that I've coached a kid as competitive and as passionate about the game of football as that young man. You know, he ended up uh, playing three and a half years for us by the time it was all said and done. And boy, he could make uh, he could make something out of nothing. That is for darn sure. But I think to get him ready for that stuff, I think a lot of it starts with, you know, again, picking the right kid. But uh, outside of that, our, uh, Mike Southmaid, who coaches our quarterbacks, he does a great job of working really hard over the summertime and watching some film with our kids and, and getting the quarterback to see what we see from our film study, trying to get them to understand a little bit from that coaching perspective. This is, hey, this is why we're going to run this play this week. Look at what they do. So here is, you know, what you should see. And by getting them to think that way on a simple level, you know, we're, we're, we're not overly complicated. I, I think we run some very simple concepts, but getting them to understand the why I think helps them be successful on the field. 
you know, I've worked with guys who have just said, you know, don't ask why, just do what I tell you to do. And th- that works for a lot for some people. And, and that can be successful to a point. For us, we think that one of the things that our quarterbacks have done so well have been to create uh, in, through the process of the play and also to come and tell us what they're seeing. For them to communicate with us, I think they need to understand a little bit more than just, hey, do this uh, because I said so. And I think that's part of that. Um, those high expectations that go with that position, I think, start with you know some of that work in the summertime. So you know we get out of school here in a week, and then our quarterbacks, along with, with Mike and myself, we just start meeting once a week, and we start with the very basic stuff. We meet after a lifting session, and we come in, and we just talk very simply. We'll start talking about coverages first and getting understanding how to read coverage. Number two, we talk about our concepts that we run and what are some of the simple reads out of it. You know, when a kid snaps the ball at the line of scrimmage for us, he's probably looking to one side and making one read. You know, he's going to scan the field ahead of time, but, you know, based on how we've worked it through, he, we've probably narrowed it down to that for him. But, you know, understanding that basic stuff, so then when the season comes, now we can maybe take that next step and say, okay, now if you see this, now you can progress to this next next read over here, and that's where our kids, I think, have been really good and been so so successful. But, you know, when, when you talk about kids putting up good numbers, the kids that we put at that position are fierce, fierce competitors, and I think that's one of the best qualities our quarterbacks have had the last few years. And, and we'll just flip it over to the other side of the ball, Coach. What You know, on defense, um, obviously, and, and we kind of give you a heads up on this, Brian Bumhutzel is obviously – um, had a huge impact on your program as a defensive coordinator. And, you know, when I when we were preparing for the podcast, you know, I kind of compared him to Don Brown, the defensive co- coordinator at Michigan, who solves a lot of problems that they have with aggression. You know, they when they have things yeah. are going their way, they're really, really extra aggressive. And I think that Bum is <laughs> the same way. He He's going to blitz his way out of problems. Am I right in thinking that? You are. Um, in fact, he, he, I just uh, invited him to help present down at the Southeast Isle Football Clinic. And when he was talking about our blitz game, he says that sometimes I just blitz because I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm chuckling because I, I think you, you've uh, pegged him perfectly that way. And, and let me be the first to tell you, I wouldn't be where I'm at with this football program as a head coach if it wasn't for Brian Hutzel. And he and I have been together since the, the day I walked on uh, on this campus at this high school. And I, I hope that he and I are together for the duration of, of, of that career. He is an outstanding football coach. He has an incredible passion for the game. He holds kids to an incredibly high standard, but not so high that it's unachievable, but high enough that they learn and they believe that they can do you know, anything he tells them to do and, that, and he'll find a way to get them to perform above their abilities. And so when you work that close with someone like that after for 14 years, you know, he has a tremendous amount of uh, flexibility and autonomy on that side of the defense because I have an unbelievable level of trust in him. And, uh, you know, he and I are alike in some ways and very different in other ways. But I think together as a, as a, as kind of a team, uh, we've done a really good job of, of working well together. And so when I sit down and, and talk with him, even now, 14 years later, there's always two things I tell him. Number one, we have to be the best tacklers on the field on Friday night. And, you know, his coach Thomas would always tell me, he'd say height, it comes down to which team block and tackles the best. It doesn't matter the plays you run. It doesn't matter, you know, all the bells and whistles you have. The bottom line is if you block and tackle better than you're the other guy across from you, you're going to win. And number two, our kids have got to know where to line up and where to go. And he has come up with some outstanding install drills for both of those things. And when I look at a practice plan and see, 
those drills and those segments in there, I know that our kids are going to be ready to go. And outside of that, um, you know, his, his third thing that he really puts a huge emphasis on is he wants to attack and not react. Um, he runs plays on defense, just like we run plays on offense. And he is a, a very, very good at breaking down film and finding those tendencies and what you want to do on down and distance. And he'll try to beat you to it. Um, you know, one of the things that he and I always talked about a lot is, you know, how do you defend the option? You know, we saw a lot of teams running the veer or running midline and how do you defend that? And he, true to his form is let's attack the quarterback, get him on the ground and get the ball out of his hands because now I know where I need to go and, and, and tackle the football. You know, if, you know, and I was always say, why don't we feather it and slow it down and let our defense catch up? And he says, yeah, but then, you know, then we've got two things we have to worry about. He goes, I'm going to attack that quarterback. I'm going to knock him on his can every single time I can, make him either swallow the ball or make him pitch it so I know where it's going to be. And I think that's a good reflection of how he does. He wants to be on the attack all the time. He is going to blitz um, when he wants uh, when he wants to, and he's going to blitz to, to fire his guys up. And he just, again, does an outstanding job with our defense. But, you know, those are the three things that we really hang our hat on on defense is being great tacklers, never being out of position, and then we're going to come and get you. Coach, as we wrap things up here a little bit, is there anything maybe scheme-related, strategy, or leadership-related that you're currently researching or learning about? Yeah, the two things is that we've spent our offseason on, number one, RPOs. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, this is a, a part of the, the development of the offensive game right now that really is intriguing to me on how players and, and teams are using that RPO concept. Um, we used it real effectively the last couple of years on a real simple level. And so one of the challenges I've given our offensive staff is to, we have to find a way to take this to the next level. You know, what can we do with RPOs that people might look at us and say, wow, they're doing something really innovative with it, or they're using it in a really positive way. It's got to fit our kids. Um, it has to fit, it has to fit what we believe in as far as our schemes go. But, you know, that's something that I'd really like to see us offensively expand on this year is that RPO game. And then uh, always love to research and, and follow up with guys on leadership stuff. Um, I, I, I'm fortunate that I get to teach a leadership class here at our high school, uh, semester-long character and leadership development class, and I absolutely love it. Uh, it's a tremendously fun but important class to uh, to teach. And so some of the guys that, uh, that that I look to that for some of those leadership uh, principles and stuff, first of all, if you're not sure who to go with, Give uh, Coach Doyle from the University of Iowa a follow on Twitter. Every now and then he will he has quotes all the time from different books that he's reading. He's a very avid reader, um, and I think he was the one that really got me turned on to John Gordon. He tweeted a picture about maybe six or seven years ago of his summer reading list for his interns, and it was the Energy Bus. Um, it was Training Camp, the No Complaining Rule. So I'm looking at this going, okay, if Coach Doyle says this stuff is good, maybe I should check it out and just absolutely fell in love with John Gordon. Uh, good reads, quick reads, easy reads, ones that you can apply with your team. I know a lot of people that do book studies with their kids on John Gordon books. Um, my new favorite, though, is Joshua Medcalf. Uh, a friend of mine turned me on to his book, Chop Wood, Carry Water, which was my read over the wintertime. Loved it. Can't wait to get into my summer read, which is going to be called, uh, same Joshua Medcalf author called Pound the Stone, uh, and has to do with developing grit, which I think is, is – uh, something really good. So, you know, if you're always looking for stuff like that, Twitter's a great place uh, to go. A lot of people put out on Twitter what they're reading or what a good read is. You know, I, I'm not a huge social media guy, 
uh, personally, but I do use it for our football program, and that's where I've come across some really good reads as well. That's great stuff, Coach. Um, as we kind of finish up here, we kind of have a tradition on Intentionally Grounded. Um, we ask this question to all our guests. So if you had a walk-up song as a professional baseball player <laughs> or if you were a, a WWE wrestler, um, what would it be and why? My son, who's nine years old, is infatuated with WWE right now. So I'm sure if I would have <laughs> asked him, he would have found he could have found some really good uh, entrance songs. But uh, this was probably the hardest question to prep for tonight. Um, you know, there, there's a song that, and, and there's an Eric Church song, The Outsiders, that uh, a number of years ago we were going down, and of course everything for me connects back to a football game or a football story somehow. But to me, I think it would be The Outsiders. The the the, the lyrics of the song. Um, just kind of the way that it talks about, you know, being this, this group of outsiders and, you know, uh, rallying around your boys and maybe being the people that you know, others have warned you about. It was uh, 2013. Our football team was kind of uh, having a, a breakout season. And, you know, we, we kind of talked about how, you know, we're the outsiders trying to crash the party a little bit. And, you know, we were a playoff team that year after we'd had a two-year absence from the playoffs. And that song always brings back a lot of good memories about that team. And we were kind of the the uh, outsider group in our uh, team in our district that year. So I think that might be a good fit for us uh, for today. <laughs> if you found this podcast helpful, please take the time to go and leave a review either on Stitcher or iTunes and let us know what you think.